Welcome to the Living Well Podcast. I'm Mark Hennick. This is a show about change. A lot has changed recently, or is changing, or has become desperately obvious that it needs to change. For many of us, the COVID-19 pandemic pulled the rug out from under our normal life. Nothing is normal anymore. Whether we'll go back to the way things were or find some new normal remains to be seen. But whatever happens next, we're faced with the prospect of figuring it out as we go. And that's why this is also a show about resilience. It's about how we're adapting to the massive changes we've faced across virtually every aspect of our lives, and how we can hopefully use this opportunity for good. The Pride movement is probably most recognizable for its worldwide celebrations, the parties and the parades, filled with joyful expressions of freedom and of acceptance. It has helped generations of LGBTQ people find their truest self at any age or stage of their life. But Pride is also rooted in protest. It's a call, a fight for equality that, even 50 years since the Stonewall Riots, is vitally necessary in a world that's still far from equal. This is especially true for trans, BIPOC, and other marginalized populations within the LGBTQ community itself. This year, however, the party and the protest of Pride Month this past June looked very different. Public expressions were largely hampered, replaced in stark contrast with the isolation, frustration, and distance that we've been facing through these long months of the pandemic lockdown. On this episode of Living Well, we explore the impact of the pandemic on Pride, but we also consider the broader historical evolution of the movement through the experience of two people who together have been part of a good chunk of it. My guests on the show today are Peter Coleridge, the former president and CEO of Prostate Cancer Canada, former president of Big Brothers Big Sisters Canada, and Patrick Smith, the current president and CEO of the Center of Excellence on Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder. Both are former national president uh, and CEOs of the Canadian Mental Health Association, and they're also a power couple of sorts in the Canadian <laughs> health and well-being space. Uh, Peter and Patrick, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here. So one of the or the whole reason I wanted to have you on the show was because I wanted to do something uh, for Morneau Chappelle since we're focusing on the many ways in which our lives have been, been impacted uh, by the COVID-19 pandemic. We wanted to do an episode specifically focused on the LGBTQ community uh, and how things look different this year uh, with Pride Month having just passed uh, in, in a very different way. And I wanted to bring you guys in to have a bit of a conversation about the historical perspective of the pride movement um a bit of your own personal story and uh and how things are uh, how you expect things are to be moving forward um so patrick you uh you're not hard to get to start talking you're already <laughs> trying to jump in <laughs> so why don't you tell me a little bit about your thoughts on this Thank you, Mark. No, I think it's actually interesting because we do have a fairly unique story to tell about um, about that journey. Um, so uh, Peter and I were both um, uh, inaugural vice presidents at KMH. Um, both of us came from the Addiction Research Foundation, one of the four founding partners of KMH. And in the early, early days, it was the Addiction Research Foundation, the Clark Institute of Psychiatry, Queen Street Mental Health Center and the Donwood Institute. 
Now, the, those were four very different healthcare cultures, and we're talking 1998. So um, the Donwood Institute, which had a rainbow services program for LGBTQ um, clients with uh, substance use um, issues, uh, they had a tradition of having a flag raising at their organization. And so as a newly formed CAMH, uh, embracing diversity in the workplace, they asked me to, as a senior vice president of clinical programs, to speak at the flag raising. And what, when I look back at that, what I also think was unique is the uh, president and CEO, Paul Garfinkel, and the COO, Gene Simpson, were also, they bookended my presentation. So um, they were allies. They weren't in the LGBTQ community. But I did make mention during that time um, what it was like for me. This is the first time in a position that I had authentically integrated my sexuality into my workplace. And to be honest, I used to think, so um, who I sleep with and who I um, and who I love shouldn't have that much of an impact in my day-to-day work as a vice president mm-hmm. in a mental health set, um, and addictions organization. And, and, and you would think that by the 90s in particular, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. Well, and, and in fact, you know, I, I was feeling I don't need to wave a flag. Um, mm-hmm. And in my experience, and I had a great time, I did the, did the uh, um, flag raising um, kind of opening and, it was to the converted. It was all the people that wanted to come to celebrate were there. So it was really kind of a very comfortable audience. What I noticed is this one guy that I used to see on the elevator. He worked in the mail room at the Clark and he was kind of, um, you know, slinking in the shadows and um, he wasn't comfortable um, being there. It didn't seem. Um, and a few days later, I saw him in the elevator with freedom rings, um, which is, um, rainbow colored rings, you know, um, usually worn by someone um, celebrating pride. And that changed my perspective because I realized that um, for the first time, it did matter whether I um, lived authentically and shared that part of myself at work. It didn't matter as much for me because I was comfortable as a vice president, but it mattered for the people who uh, maybe worked in the mailroom and worked on, on nursing units you know, lots more to talk about, but the journey from 1998 to now has been incredible. I want to bring Peter in for a second here, too, um, uh, to hear your perspective. I mean, you were working in the same place at the same time, Peter. Did you have the same or similar experience or perspective uh, on the on the acceptance of the place? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, Patrick and I were partners at that time. It was a time before we could legally be married. I wasn't really out. I mean, I, I didn't uh, uh, hide my sexuality, but I, I certainly wasn't out there telling people about, you know, my my male partner, et cetera, et cetera. So, so, you know, part of it is getting comfortable in your own skin and then being in an environment that, that helps you be comfortable in your own skin. And certainly, uh, you know, that was starting to unfold uh, at CAMH and, and things, you know, improved not only there, but in many workplaces over time. Um, an interesting twist on the pride uh, flag raising is that the next year it was at the Clark site. And again, everyone came who was supportive and I spoke again. And the third year, um, they said, they gave me the date and I said, Oh, that's not going to work. That's going to, um, that's going to coincide and conflict with our um, annual general meeting as an organization. And it was to be held at the Queen Street site. 
And then I thought, no, why do we have to do it off in the shadows for only those who, who want to come? Why don't we do it at the AGM? And then they also politely, politely told me, uh, Patrick, um, we need some fresh meat. <laughs> so you've done it two years <laughs> in a row. And we'd really like someone else. And I said, I have just the person for you. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, that was quite an experience. That was, that was you, Peter. Yeah, so, so we're on a podcast. They can't see that Patrick just gestured yeah. to Peter. Yeah, so, so that was me. You're right. That was me. And, and uh, I, I, you know, when Patrick mentioned it to me, I really had to think about, do I want to be that out there? You know, as I said, I, I was, was not uh, hiding anything, but I wasn't necessarily uh, really being public uh, about things and certainly not in the workplace. Uh, so I had to give it some thought, quite frankly, uh, but it was uh, probably one of the most empowering things that I've done. It was a turning point for me in, in my sexuality, in my own skin. And, and since that time, uh, as Patrick mentioned earlier, you know, I, too, in leadership roles, realized how important it was to be more out in the workplace and, and to, to really bring this out in the open to empower others in workplaces who are you know, part of the community to feel like they can be out at work as well. And so uh, from a leadership perspective, it's an important thing I think we have to do as leaders uh, is, is to create that environment because even with the progress, it's still very difficult for many people to come out and, and you need environments that, that reinforce that it's okay. Is it your view that pride is uh, primarily a protest of sorts, that it's creating space, uh, uh, demanding space uh, within society, or is it more of a celebration uh, of the space that you already have? I think it's evolved, and I think it's both. I think that the, um, I think that one of the things that it has done is it honors the people who've gone before us. It's a celebration of all of the pioneers that did this work when they didn't have a um, the, the CEO and the COO bookending you and your support. Um, so I, you know, we're celebrating the uh, developments we've made as a civil rights um, movement, if you will. Um, but it's also a statement that we are not there yet. And so every year um, as we um, have more rights, um, it also shines a brighter light on um, those rights that are still not there and looking at things like um, protection and health care, uh, trans rights. It's become something that's actually more focused on continuing the momentum, celebrating the milestones, but not getting complacent. Mm. Is that how you feel as well, Peter? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, it really has evolved. And, and, you know, many, many years ago, decades ago, it was probably more of a, an advocacy, uh, uh, you know, Putting the spotlight on the need for change, but but now clearly it's it's both. Uh, and as Patrick said, you know, uh, have to continue to keep up the volume because uh, complacency uh, will start to, to retract. And certainly, you know, in, in other countries, uh, you see that when there is that complacency, and, and political leadership uh, has such a, a, a big impact on that. And so so important to continue to keep the spotlight and 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 push forward on. Uh, normalizing uh, and creating that environment, which I, I keep coming back to, which I feel is so important. You know, something that you're saying here, and, and Peter, have you brought this kind of lens uh, with you uh, into these leadership roles in these different audiences? Uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, in, in the various organizations, uh, I made sure I brought this lens. Uh, new programs were put in place with an LGBTQ lens. 
uh, and, and providing access and, and so on. And certainly within uh, the workplace in, in terms of staff and employees. Uh, so uh, something that, you know, I've carried forward uh, in all those organizations. And, you know, it's interesting in, in my entire career, once you start to integrate uh, corporate uh, world, the, the for-profit world and the not-for-profit charity world or, or causes, whether it's mental health or, or uh, LGBT rights, uh, you get, uh, you know, a, a, a lot of people that see it in a very negative light because these corporations are involved because of flavor of the day and uh, it's going to help, you know, get exposure and profile and that's all about increasing profits. But there's so many other benefits as well. So, so you know, there are pluses and minuses, but I think that intersection is so important around all of these different causes and the support for all kinds of not-for-profit work uh, across the country. And so it's a, it's been an interesting debate. I think also one, one great example is Curacao as the island um, used to get a lot of flack because it chased the pink dollar is what people said. It's, it really tried to um, very proactively uh, promote its tourism um, and um, LGBTQ kind of positivity um, to the uh, gay community. And guess what? Um, that's probably true. But then when when we went there, you you felt it. So it actually probably had a huge role in changing um, how it felt to be in a Caribbean island as a gay man. And, and that sense of um, overt acceptance, you know, I imagine that must have been impacted uh, this year in particular, uh, where, you know, this past June, uh, we couldn't have the parades or the a lot of the corporate type events, the sponsorships, good or bad. Um, how do you think that impacted the pride movement, not being able to be so overt in the in the celebration or the protest, uh, whichever it is? You know, I, th I think it probably had um, impact for different people at different stages in their in their journey. And I remember going to one uh, in Toronto early days. Um, and so I remember what that felt like as a, as this uber acceptance, as you say, very overt acceptance. But I also remember standing with a friend of mine um, from Mexico and um, when media came by, he he ran behind and said, no, no cameras, no cameras, no cameras, um, because he was so uncomfortable that maybe um, there would be that captured and aired in his hometown. I re just remember how powerful that is. Now, if um, if it's your first time, your first few times and it's all virtual, it doesn't have the same yeah. impact. So, Peter, then how do you think that uh, because we don't know when this is going to end, right? We don't know when the world is going to go either back to normal or into the new normal, whatever it is. So how does uh, the Pride movement, the LGBT community, continue to advocate, continue to connect with one another uh, without the ability to do so physically, at least not so robustly? Well, I, you know, I, I think we're moving into a, a new world, a new normal as a, as a result of the pandemic. And uh, it's amazing that uh, the type of technology that we're using today has existed for quite some time and many other formats as well. And, and we've all kind of dipped our toe in it, but yet, you know, we'd fly to meetings or there'd be big prides, uh, uh, parades or meetings of organizations looking from a policy perspective, how to exert pressure on governments around LGBT uh, um, policies and rights and so on. All of that work, I think, is just going to continue in a different way and everyone is going to be adjusting uh, to uh, looking at ways to doing that. And I think technology 
is going to be uh, you know the the way forward, and and there will be uh, less of the big sort of mass coming together of, of uh, people. And so I you know I think the work will continue. I think it'll continue at the same levels. Uh, it's just people adjusting to doing it differently, uh, and and that'll take some time. But I I think it is a uh, definitely a, a new normal as we move forward, and and uh, I don't I don't think this community will let uh, the fact that maybe you know gatherings can't happen get in the way of continuing to keep the volume up and the spotlight so that the complacency uh, doesn't allow us to slip back mm. on the progress we've made. Patrick, well, I was going to ask Patrick, do you think that there's a risk of that backslide? Yeah, I. Yes and no. Um, I think in some ways um, the context is so different. When I I remember when I first you know moved to Toronto and first integrated and I, I actually flew my mom up here and I came out to my mom um, here in Toronto and took her to Woody's the gay bar you know, with a lot of my friends and so that she could see what gay meant because back in southern India maybe you didn't have that picture and think about P- that. sorry P- Peter's laughing but we'll get <laughs> yeah, to that in yeah. a second. <laughs> and, and the reality is gay what it me- means to be gay has really changed um, for the average person in southern Indiana because back mm. then there was no will and grace there were just filming queer as folk on the streets of Toronto and making it um, look like Pittsburgh or Baltimore. I can't remember where it's supposed to be. Um, so that was all happening. And now, um, and so the, the pride parades and even, even having a section where all the gay bars are in one area of town, um, even that is changing. While that's still the, the, the case, um, integration of having LGBTQ um, nights in uh, mainstream bars and um, gay-friendly spaces, um, it's less ghettoized, if you will. And so we used to always call it the gay ghetto and using that in a very positive term. Um, but the role of, of the gay ghetto has changed as well. And so in some ways, so has the, um, the role of um, the pride parade because it's, um, it's, not, it's less separated and segmented from the group. It's kind of like uh, maybe... Uh, you know, the metaphor of the, of the image um, flag raising off on the side for people who support it versus at the AGM. And the first time Peter Zuna is coming out, Michael Wilson's there, like it, everyone on the board is there. It's not just people who, you know, support you. And I think that that is the change that's happened. And, and now we, if, even when we can't gather, um, if you're binging, <laughs> um, binge watching Netflix, you have a lot of representation of the very different things that it can mean to be in the queer community. And that just didn't happen um, when, when I first came out. Now, you've, you guys have been another reason that I wanted to have you on. You've been together for quite a while, haven't you? An anniversary just passed or is coming just up? Just celebrated 20 years in June. <laughs> 20 years. Wow. Yeah. And now one of you is retired, Peter. You're finally retired. Yeah. Uh, Patrick <laughs> will... But that's an early retirement. I don't want your yeah. listeners to think that I'm not. <laughs> the listeners to think he's, that I'm really old. <laughs> and, and Patrick will eventually retire someday, maybe. Who knows? It seems, right. but but you know, that's. I think even that is um, still surprisingly mold breaking in a way. That you know, a long term gay couple who are now a long term, almost fully retired gay couple, uh, living their best lives, who have have done. It sounds like a lot of what you really wanted to do with your lives. Well, for me, um, as you know, uh, you know, screenwriting is my kind of side passion. So I always think, okay, what am I going to do? I, I am 
extremely impassioned with my new work. I've only been there a year. And so um, making sure that um, veterans and their families across Canada have access to the best, uh, you know, best practice PTSD, you know, services and supports, that's, that's a passion. Um, and when we've set this organization up and it's off and running and doing its great work and I retire, um, I've often thought about that. And, and I always go back to one of the first things that happened to me when I had that experience of seeing what my impact of just doing a talk and being open about my experience, what it did to that, um, that uh, young man in the mill room. Um, I started to go on the circuit doing um, leaders out at work. And so mm-hmm. really focusing on the obligation that you have as leaders. And I know Peter and I have talked about this, but one of the things I'd love to do is to provide, you know, my volunteer services to youth peer organizations, um, uh, queer youth organizations, because um, we still hear every day, like I think about growing up when I did in Southern Indiana, and I can tell you they're growing up in my same small town. It hasn't changed as much as we'd like it to. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, um, I, that's kind of where my passion would go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, and, I, and I, I think, uh, Mark, you know, when I think about, uh, I guess, the second half, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, for me, it's still early days, but, um, you know, I, I, I my, my career has been a gift. I, I worked hard at it, uh, but I have a lot of experience and, and insights. And so it's nice to now have the time to uh, spend, as Patrick said, volunteering with youth organizations or, or just even individual uh, youth uh, who, you know, we have lots of friends who have uh, children who are now, you know, in their uh, teens and 20s and, and being able to, to have the, the time to be a mentor. Uh, you know, I, I spent some time leading a national uh, mentoring organization and, uh, you know, it, it was uh, amazing to see the impact of mentorship on people and I started to reflect on my own life and my early days as a teenager uh, struggling with whether I was gay and, and having mentors and then, you know, throughout my journey up until that time when I was able to really come out at, at the uh, AGM, as, as Patrick talked about earlier and we spoke about earlier. And so I'm, I'm really excited about being able to um, be a mentor in very informal ways and maybe more formal ways moving forward with, with young people um, because I just think it's so important and that, that level of support is so key for so many people um, and, and, you know, has a big impact on lives. and. Uh, I, I just think, you know, that's what it's all about. So if any of those either young people that you're talking about are, are listening now or people who might be a little bit later uh, into their journey, because you both came out uh, publicly a little bit later, um, what would you want them to know? I think the thing I would want to say is what I feared most um, about myself is this. What if this little dark secret would be the thing that came out? Um Every single person who comes out, whether they come out at age 15 or 30 or 60, and that's still happening today, um, when when they finally realize, it's like um, pay no attention to the man behind the black curtain in The Wizard of Oz. When you pull that curtain, what you fear most is like um, it, it's actually your source of power. And so for no matter what um, part of the journey you're on for life, um, living an authentic self and authentically um, being who you are 
um, for me, was a source of so much um, personal power. Not to say it won't be tested from time to time, um, but um, there is just something about being so completely comfortable in your own skin. And I can tell you, if you were to tell me earlier that that's what was going to happen, I would have said, no, you don't understand my circumstances, my family, my friends. There's always the sense that it's going to be the thing that is unravels you. And it's quite the opposite. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, I think Patrick has said it, you know, very well. Uh, it, it's um, it's not as bad on the other side as you may uh, in your mind think it's going to be. And, and if you can uh, reach out and, and get support and talk to some, some people about it uh, and, and maybe even, you know, uh, link up with a, a mentor from the gay community, uh, that's going to allow you to, to to, to take that step, and it is very empowering. It's a turning point, that that authentic self. And at the end of the day, we all only have one life. And so why uh, live it uh, in the shadows? Be your authentic self. Uh, and I, I always, I love uh, Shrek the musical. And, uh, you know, let your freak flag fly. I mean, uh, it's, it's a way to go. And, and uh, it, you feel really good about it. Yeah. So then it sounds like pride is, while maybe both protest and party and, and certainly about equality, uh, pride is really about freedom, it yeah. seems. Yeah. Pride in your personal journey and freedom. That's a very good way to, yeah, I like that. Well, Peter Coleridge, former president and CEO of Prostate Cancer Canada, Patrick Smith, current president and CEO of the Center of Excellence on Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder. Peter and Patrick, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Living Well Podcast. Mark Hennick is our host and executive producer. If you like what you heard, subscribe to the show. There's no cost involved. You just hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a comment and a rating to let us know how we're doing. For more information about the show and the WellCan Project, visit wellcan.ca. The Living Well Podcast is produced for Morneau Chappelle by Mark Hennick and Eye Contact Productions. I'm Dave Trafford.